uh, in your Bible. Thank you, uh, Pastor Heath. Where are you? There you are, uh, right where you were last night. Um, uh, pastor Heath is more than a pastor. He's more than a conference organizer. Uh, he's a sincere, godly friend and man of God. And he leads a church that reflects his spirit. And I, I love to watch the, the members of Crossroads just hop up here to sing, hop back there to clean. Uh, they're there uh, working their various stations. It, this is a monumental effort to put on a conference like this. And then when we leave, uh, they're going to be spending all day cleaning and reorganizing, reshuffling, and then starting uh, to add their service again tomorrow morning. So that's a huge and monumental effort. And I, I uh, for one, greatly, greatly appreciate all the folks at Crossroads and you, Brother Heath, and, and your leadership. It's been such a blessing. Uh, Exodus chapter 4 in your Bible, this is our last uh, time together. Uh, I've benefited greatly from the sessions and from the fellowship. I hope that you have. And just so you know, I'm going to ask everybody at the end of this session uh, to, to respond uh, to this conference. Not necessarily to this message, but I'm going to ask everybody in the room at the end of this message to respond. Just to respond to something that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about. And I, I really, uh, and, and there's, there's a number of ways to respond. I mean, you can just respond there in your seat and, and, and pray. And, of course, the Lord's everywhere present. But I do think, honestly, there's something special about making a move when God has made a move in our heart. Now, again, I'm, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. But I, I, I just think there's something special about making a move when God has made a move in our heart. And if God has worked in your heart over this conference... It might be just in a devotional conversation you have with another man in the hotel room. Uh, but if God is, has revealed something to you or has convicted you about something, I'm going to ask at the end of the service that we kind of gather together as an army of men and come to this altar. We've got plenty of room. And just spend a moment alone with God in prayer. Get on your knees. Maybe put your arm around a, a, a dear friend. And, and let's pray together that God would solidify the decisions that we, in many cases, have already made. We've already made. I mean, just decisions about, uh, by God's Holy Spirit's power, I'm going to get victory over my anger with God's help. Or maybe a decision to say, God, I am going to begin and culture a habit uh, of identifying with you, of, of wanting to, to know you better. And I'm going to put that process and get those outcomes in place because, you know, I really do want to know Christ better. And I am going to begin uh, today. I'm going to begin today enculturating uh, God's word and prayer as a daily habit in my life. And what a great decision that would be. It might be the three verse a day decision that you've made. It might be that. And that's a great decision. It, it might be uh, the, the uh, three minute a day uh, alone with God, intense, just God night time. That's great. Whatever that decision is, let's solidify that and ask for God to help us uh, with that decision at the end of the service. So just so you know where we're going in this last service. Exodus uh, chapter number 4 in your Bible. Keep your Bible open as always. Exodus chapter number 4. I want to talk to you for the last few moments of this conference on the topic of excuses. Excuses. How many of us know that uh, the time between knowing what what to do that's right, and the time be between knowing it and implementing it is typically a time when we offer excuses. 
So you, you've learned some things, and so have I, over the past 24 hours, things that we know to do that are right. But between the time of knowing and implementation, oftentimes we begin to wiggle our way out. Like, yeah, but, yeah, but, but, yeah, but, but, right? We, we begin to say that. We want to. We agree with the validity of the decision or the command from God. Uh, but the more we think about it, the more we consider what that means, those processes, uh, those outcomes, we think, well, but I, but I, and I'm going to, and we begin to make all the excuses. That's exactly what Moses did. So look at Exodus chapter number 4, not a, an unfamiliar passage, but what, what, what a, an instructive one it is. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse number 1. And Moses answered. God and Moses have been having a conversation, and God has been doing most of the talking. By the way, it's good in conversations when God does most of the talking. Now, sometimes you, you wonder, well, should I spend more time reading my Bible or more time praying? I'd say spend more time reading your Bible, because that's God talking to you. And then talk back to him. That's good, but it's probably best to let God do most of the talking. And the Bible says that Moses answered and said, watch this, but, do you see that? God just gave some definitive uh, instruction to Moses in chapter 3. And gave him, uh, gave him all the reasons why uh, he ought to obey what God had told him to do. Moses has already begun to say, uh, but, 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 but now God gives him the definitive reasons. And Moses answered and said, but. So, but, but behold, God, this is something perhaps you've not considered. But behold, they... Now, God, I, I know you've dealt with me, but, but they, I'm going to go to Egypt, I'm, I'm going to speak to the people of God, and then with the people of God, I'm going to speak to Pharaoh, but they, they, they will not believe me. They're not going to believe me. Hey, he's projecting on them his own lack of faith. I'm going to go tell them that I saw this burning bush in the wilderness that talked to me, Right? And then I'm going to tell them that, that, I, that, that my, my, my rod became, well, he won't even tell them, he doesn't even know that yet. I'm going to tell them, uh, I, 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 I talked to this burning bush and, and God, uh, God, the God, of, the God of God was in that bush and told me to come tell you uh, that uh, we should go to Pharaoh and just say, hey, we're going to leave. They're not going to believe that. They, they, are, they are going to be totally incredulous at that. They're not going to believe me. Look at this. Uh, nor hearken unto my voice. They will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. They're going to say, no way. We don't believe your personal experience. We don't believe. You, something happened to you, but I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't God. Look at verse number 2. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, watch it. He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before. That's what I would have done. If you like snakes, you, you're weird. Verse number 4. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. That, that's even tougher. See, I think I would have been fine with casting down a rod. I don't know that I would have been fine with picking up a snake. So pick up, pick up that snake. Put forth thine hand. Take it by the tail. Understand this, that a serpent was a shepherd's greatest danger. Because you're a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. If you uh, encounter a venomous viper in the middle of nowhere, there's no one there to epi-shot you. There's nobody there to save you. The sheep don't care. Just understand that, okay? 
And so the Bible says, uh, put forth thine hand, take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. No, no, okay, uh, Moses, you're saying they won't believe. Okay, well then show them this. They, they will believe. Just show them this. Show them the rod thing. They'll believe. And then watch what God says in verse number uh, 6. And the Lord said, furthermore unto him, put now thine hand under thy bosom. So in, into your coat, into your robe. Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. So typically leprosy would begin at the extremity, uh, the, the fingertips maybe, or the, uh, the edge of your ear, or maybe the, the, the tip of your nose and work its way in. But in this case, the, the leprosy is all over. All over it's all, entire hand is full of leprosy. This would be like the, the cancer of the day. Uncurable, incurable. This would be the worst thing that could happen to you because not only will this eventually kill you, it will eventually eat your flesh up, but also it immediately... Uh, separate you from everyone you love. Leprosy. So the Bible says he put his hand in, he took it out, and watch this verse 7, and he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. Well, that would be the last thing you'd want to do with a leper's hand. Is put it near anything, put it near the, your extreme, put it near your, your, your vital organs, and put it into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Wow, what, what a miracle. Look at what God says in verse number 8. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign. Uh, that, so you'll cast that rod down. Some people might say, well, that's just, that's just a magician's trick. I don't believe that. Remember Janus and Jambres, uh, the sorcerers of, 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 of Pharaoh, they were able to do that. So if they don't believe that, then, then do the second sign. They, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And... Verse number 9, it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs. Well, how good is God? Now, we can't, we, I can't go, God, because they won't believe me, okay? Do this, they'll believe you. And if that doesn't work, do this, they'll believe you. And if those two don't work, then do this. Look at verse number, uh, num number 9. It shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, uh, Unto thy voice, that, that, that thou shalt take of the water of the river. The river. There's only one answer to that. That's the Nile River. That's the, that's the very source of the Egyptian economy. Everything about Egypt was successful for one reason. The Nile River. No Nile, no economy. No Nile, no food. No Nile, nothing. That's why the worship, the Nile River was a god. We worship that. That's why when God told his people, when you leave Egypt and you go to the land of promise, it won't be like Egypt. Because in Egypt, uh, they don't need to pray. In Egypt, uh, they've got the river. If you want more water, just dig a, an irrigation canal. You want uh, water for your field, the, it's, the water is always there. But I'm sending you to a place where there's uh, not water. Water comes from the sky. So you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to pray to me. It's going to be different when you come to my place because you're going to have to look up and look to me. So the Bible says here in verse number 9 uh, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Yeah, go there, take a bucket, pick that bucket up, come out before them, pour that bucket out, 
and it's going to be blood. That's going to get their attention. If they don't believe the rod, if they don't believe the restoration of the hand, if they don't believe the rod and the restoration, they will believe the river. Look, look at verse number 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, okay, you've convinced me. Okay, Lord, thank you. You didn't owe me those signs, but wow, what a blessing you gave them. Is that what Moses said? Oh, no. The Bible says, and Moses said unto the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Uh, neither uh, heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. Uh, I, I'm slow of speech. I, I'm of, uh, of a slow tongue. He was a stutterer. And, and the Lord said unto him, who, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, the, the, those that can't speak, or deaf, or, or the seeing, or, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, I, I will be with thy mouth. Teach thee, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O Lord, now, now you've convinced me. Now, Lord, now I know. Now, Lord, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I repent. Yeah, you've given me these three signs, and, and now you've told me that you're my creator, and uh, you, you knew what you were doing. Lord, Lord, forgive me. Is that what Moses says? Oh, no. The Bible says, Mo, Moses says in verse 13, he said, oh, my Lord, send the Lord good plan. Great plan. Somebody needs to go. Send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. That's just a fancy way of saying, God, you can send anybody you want except me. Lord, you can choose anybody you want to go. There's just one exception to that rule, and that's me. Here is he, Lord, send him. How would that work for our mission song? Here is he, Lord, send him. Right? That's what he's saying. Look at verse number 14. And the anger. Well, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a place you don't want to get. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. He's on his way. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. He wants to, he wants to be here. He's coming. He, Aaron was coming all the way from Egypt. Verse number 15. And thou shalt speak unto him. Put words in his mouth. I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And ye shall be, uh, he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. He shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. Thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand wherewith thou shalt do signs. We would say today miracles. I want to talk to you in this last session for just a couple minutes on the topic, excuses. And why they just don't work with God. And Father, I do pray that you would help us in these moments to identify not the excuses that Moses gave, but through your word and by your spirit to see the excuses that we so readily give. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves clearly. Give us wisdom. Help us to see what you see. Show us us. Search our hearts and try our thoughts. Lead us in the way everlasting. Help us, God, in this message to see what you see. We love you and we thank you. and We're asking for you to bless now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think most of you know the story of Moses. and You know the story how that Moses was miraculously preserved as a child. When Pharaoh was killing all the uh, male children of the Hebrew children, 
uh, literally going from house to house murdering babies. Unless we think the Egyptians were barbaric, that's what we've done in America. Uh, and uh, we've done it to a tune much larger than Egypt ever did it. And yet Pharaoh was murdering those babies. And uh, of course uh, uh, Amram and, and Jochebed, the, the parents of Moses, had faith in God. And by faith, the Bible says, uh, the parents of Moses, Hebrews chapter 11. And by faith, uh, they, they saw that he was a goodly child. And they saw uh, God's hands upon him. And, and they, they, made, they made that ark of bulrush and, and put it in the bulrushes. Remember the story? And how Miriam, uh, the eight-year-old girl, that eight-year-old girl, uh, followed that, that ark and watched where it went. And how Pharaoh's daughter uh, came down and, and saw that, that baby cried at just the right moment. Remember? And how Pharaoh's daughter uh, then took that baby as her own. And, and then said to Miriam, uh, uh, is there a, a wet nurse? Is there somebody among the Hebrew women that could help me until this baby is weaned? And uh, baby was weaned back in those days about four years of, of age. Go tell your wife that one. Uh, four years of age. And, and so so uh, uh, Miriam said, I, I know somebody, I know somebody. And can you imagine the joy when, when Miriam ran back to, to Jochebed and said, uh, Mom, uh, Mom, it worked, our plan worked. And, and you can't believe who found uh, our little baby Moses. Uh, matter of fact, Moses was the, the, not the name Amram and Jochebed gave. It, that was the name that, that, that Pharaoh's daughter gave. I, I've drawn him from the water, right, Moses. And so uh, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. And uh, she wants you, she wants you to raise this child until he's weaned. And uh, can you imagine that? Uh, now, uh, instead of fearing for their lives, they're, they're under a government stipend. <laughs> uh, the government's paying for them to raise the one that's going to deliver God's people. Uh, does God have a sense of humor or what? And now, uh, day after day, after week after week, after month after month, what are Amram and Jochebed, what are they telling Moses? What are they telling him as a two-year-old? What are they telling him as a three-year-old? Uh, you're God's child. You're God's child. Uh, say this verse with me again. I mean, they're training him. They're praying with him. I mean, for the time he's a little boy, don't tell me that children can't learn the Bible. And don't tell me that it's not important. Early childhood development, uh, half of what everyone, everything you know in life, you learn between age zero and one. Half of all the knowledge you have in life, you learn between ages 0 and 1. 75% of everything you will ever know in your life, you learn between ages 0 and 4. As bends the twig, so grows the tree. And Amram and Jochebed, they were uh, inculcating, inculcating the truth into Moses' life so that when Moses went for the next 35 years, until he was 40, and lived in uh, that government school, and lived in that government place, and, and was, was barraged by that government's gods, and uh, that government's philosophy. When he came to age, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Where, where did that come from? From a godly mom and dad early on. But, they, but, but Moses didn't, didn't have a, a right view about how God would use him. He didn't understand how it would all take place. He knew he wanted to identify with his own people. He knew that God wanted to use him to be a deliverer. He knew that God had providentially worked in his life, but he didn't know how. Didn't know how. And so instead of waiting on God to give him the how, he just went headstrong forward. He saw that, uh, those Hebrew slaves uh, arguing with each other, remember? He told them, uh, don't, don't do that. And, and uh, who made you? Who made you a boss? Remember? O over us. And he killed that, he killed that, that guard, remember, remember that? And now all of a sudden, he's persona non grata in the country. And now all of a sudden, he's got to flee. All of a sudden, he's got to go to the backside of the desert. 
You know the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's sermon, the Bible says that Moses was a man mighty in word and deed. You know what that tells me? That tells me when Moses was 40, he was the man. When Moses was 40, he was the orator. He was the, he had the stage presence. I mean, he was the guy. I mean, if anybody looked the part, Moses did. You know, God said, God can't use, God can't use us when it's all about us. Now, God, God, God doesn't want to bless uh, our success. God wants, to, God wants us to rely upon him. And Moses apparently was relying upon his own strength, his own words, his own wisdom, his own uh, persona. And so what did God do? God had to take him to a place for 40 years and undo what Moses thought he knew. Sometimes uh, the best thing that happens in our life is not what we learn, it's what we unlearn. Sometimes the best thing that happens in your life is not what you learn, it's what you unlearn. And for 40 long years, Moses unlearned some things in the wilderness. He realized, you know, I'm not nearly as tough as I thought I was. I'm not nearly as influential as I thought I was. I'm not nearly as eloquent as I thought I was. And now for 40 years, he's talking to nobody. Now for 40 years, he's hanging out with sheep. Now he's becoming more and more insecure. Now he struggles to say anything. That's him. You know things are bad when your father's father-in-law's name is Jethro. I mean, how'd you like to be the son-in-law of Jethro? It's like you got your own episode of Beverly Hillbillies going on. One day Moses is on the backside of the desert, some nondescript mountain called Horeb, and he sees a bush burning, which was not uncommon. It's not uncommon for a bush to be spontaneously combust in the heat of the desert. Or lightning to strike. It's not uncommon to see a, a fire in the wilderness. Not, not uncommon. What was uncommon was the, the bush wasn't consumed. That's what was uncommon. And Moses went by. No doubt he saw it at first and thought there was nothing to it. And maybe he walked back by it and thought, that's strange. That, that bush is still burning. Something's still happening. And he went aside to see. And when he went aside to see, that's when God spoke. You know what God's waiting for in your life? He's waiting for you to go aside and see. He's waiting for you to stop and go and see. And so he went. And boy, God spoke. I'm God. Can you imagine? Take off your feet. Take off your shoes. I'm God. Take off your shoes. I'm God. This is holy ground. And I'm here because I've heard the prayers of my people. And I'm here to deliver my people. And Moses, I'm going to use you. And Moses says in chapter number 3, he said, uh, but, but who am I? Who am I? And God says, it doesn't make a difference. Who am I? It's who I am. Makes no difference who am I, who I am. Matter of fact, now, go tell them that I am has sent you. That's, that's what you'll say. And here's what's going to happen. Look at the end of chapter 3. Verse number 18. They shall hearken to thy voice. That's the leaders. Verse number 19. And I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. But look at verse number 20. Uh, and after that, he will let you go. So what has God said to Moses in chapter 3? Moses, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. 
And Moses, you're going to go down and the people will listen. A Pharaoh will not at first listen, but he will eventually listen. And he will let the people go. And Moses says in chapter 4 and verse 1, Moses, and here's Moses' answer to God's call. And Moses answered and said, yeah, but. He probably said, but, 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 but. What, what has God told you to do? It might be a, a small thing. It might be when Pastor Bill was talking about the uh, Bible reading and prayer, you were thinking, yeah, that's what I need to do. And between now and doing it, you're going to say, but, 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 but. I'm a busy guy, but, but. I don't really understand it, but, but. Whatever, I don't have an accountability problem, uh, but. I believe in all my, with all my heart that God still calls people to, to ministry. I believe that. I believe God calls people to pastor. And there might be somebody in this room where you feel the, the wrestling of God in your life to get involved in full-time preaching and teaching ministry as a pastor, as a missionary, as an evangelist, as a teacher. And maybe you've been wrestling with it, but, but. Yeah, but, but I've got this job, but. I can't afford, but. I can't speak, but. I don't know the Bible, but. What's your but? That's probably not a good way to say that, but, to, but it is a men's conference, so I can say it. How big is your butt, huh? That's the new title of my message right there. I want you to see, I want you to see three stages and the excuses that Moses offered. First of all, notice his lack of assurance. His lack of assurance. Verse number one, Moses said, behold, they, they'll, they'll not believe me. They're not going to listen to me. They won't hearken unto my voice. They'll, they'll say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Lord, I'm not sure this is going to work. Lord, Lord, I know what you've said. I know that you've called. I'm not questioning that. But Lord, I just don't think this will work. It's a lack of assurance. And how did God deal with the excuse of Moses in verses one through eight? He dealt with the excuse of Moses uh, by giving him three signs. Three miraculous signs that could not be explained outside of God. He gave him the sign of the rod. He gave him the sign of the restored hand, restoration I call that. And then he gave him the sign of the river. And I think uh, although God does not give us these physical signs today, we've got a completed word of God, which is much better than any sign you could possibly have. We have the completed copy of God's word. I do believe this. God validates and God guides. God provides where he guides and he feeds where he leads. And I do believe that God does validate what he says. And so in what ways does God validate uh, the call of God upon Moses' life? How does God deal with Moses' lack of assurance? I think first of all, he gives him the, the rod. He gives him the rod sign. We're not going to reread it because we read it already. But think about what was, what, was the, what was the sign of the rod? What was that sign? What was that? Why was God saying that? Uh, Moses, what is that in what? Thine hand. We've all heard messages on that topic. What is that in thine hand? The point is, if God's calling you, he's going to use what you have, not what you don't have. Because the typical excuse we give to God about being called to anything, but God, I don't have what he has. I don't have those abilities. I don't have that time. I don't have that effort. I don't have that background. I didn't grow up that way. I can't because I don't have. And God said, I'm not asking you to show me what you don't have. I'm asking you to show me what you do have. What is in thine hand? 
And essentially, whatever's in your hand, do with that what I tell you to do with that. And throughout the Bible, we see that reiterated. Whether that's a boy with a lunch, just give it to God. See what God does with little, with little, little as much when God is in it. What about Shamgar? All he had was an ox goad, but he did pretty well with that ox goad, didn't he? Okay, what about Gideon? All he had was a pitcher. God said, you got too much. You got too many. You got too much. You got too many. You got too much. I've got a pitcher. I've got a lamp. But God did much with that. What about David? David just had a sling. That's all he had. Yeah, but what about this armor? No, I've not proved it. What about this sword? I can't carry it. What about the, this sling? Is what, this sling is what I've always used. I mean, there was a time when the bear uh, came to attack the sheep, and I, 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 I used this sling. And there was a time when the lion came to attack the sheep, and it's the, the sling. That's what, that's what I have. Give God what you have. In other words, I think God was saying to Moses, Moses, I want you to, I want you to privately get over your fears right now. And it's intimidating to speak before Pharaoh. It's intimidating to gather the elders of, each, uh, of Israel together and convince them. I know that's intimidating. But, but in order for you to take a baby step forward, uh, Moses, you need to get over your private fears right now. So throw that rod down. And there is that snake. Now pick the snake up. You know what God wants you to do in private? Pick the snake up. He wants you to get over your private fears. He wants you to have private victories in your life. He wants you to know that you can trust him in little things. I wonder, what, what is that in your life? What, what are the private areas of victory you're getting in your life? Maybe it's something as simple as that phone and the pornography that so readily is on it. What are the private areas in your life where you can get a measure of victory right now? Where, where is that? Cast that down. Pick that up. You know, find, find, find yourself gaining private victories now. Uh, that's, what God, that's what God was teaching Moses. It was the sign of the rod. But not only do I see the sign of the rod, number two, I see the sign of restoration. And I think in this sign, what God was saying to Moses is, Moses, I can reverse the unreversible. I can reverse the unreversible. I mean, to put your hand in your coat and take it out and see nothing but leprosy, that's a, that's a, that's a death sentence. Put your hand in your coat and take it out and see leprosy. That's like saying, I've got four stage, stage cancer. I remember when my dad called me in 1997, my biological dad, actually in 1995, and, and told me that he had four stage pancreatic cancer. I remember what he did for those two years. I remember how he uh, signed up for every experimental treatment. How he went to Sloan Kettering Institute in New York. How he changed his diet. How he got radical from day one. Quit his job. But died on December 26, 1997. Why? Because by the time you have fourth stage pancreatic cancer, it's a death sentence. When Moses put his hand in that coat and took it out that day and it was full of leprosy. Listen, that's essentially a death sentence. And yet God was saying, in a moment of time, I can reverse the irreversible. And you're going down to Egypt and you're thinking, those people will never get out of there. Uh, I tried years ago, but they're slaves. They have none of the weapons. They, they have uh, none of the warfare. Uh, they've been slaves for 400 years. It'll never happen. God said, no, no, no. I can reverse the irreversible. It's the lesson of the rod. It's the lesson of the, of the restoration. It's the lesson of the river. What, what is the river? The river was the life source of Egypt. The river was their power grid. 
It was their way by which they uh, were transported, all, all the barges, the way by which that was their supply chain, their supply line. They fed into the uh, Mediterranean Sea. I mean, the R Nile River was everything to them. It was, a, it was their a food source. It was their transportation source. It was everything. It was their jugular vein. What God said uh, to Moses is, God said, listen, you need to get the private victory that the rod affords. And understand that I can reverse the irreversible just like the restoration sign will tell you. But, no, but number three, understand this. That I've got my finger on the jugular vein of Egypt. You go show them that. If they don't believe you, then take a bucket of water and put it in that river and pour it out and show them, listen, I control everything that controls you. I can put my finger on anything. Boy, we found that out during COVID, didn't we? We thought our lives were all set. We thought our plans were all made. We thought that everything was all in place. And one little microscopic virus changed everything. Well, those Chinese in that laboratory, let me tell you something. God is sovereign over the events of men. And don't think for a moment that if our power grid went down, things wouldn't change drastically. Boy, you just let comfy, cozy Americans go without uh, electricity for three days and see what happens. And see what happens after a week. You see how your priorities change after a month. Boy, it all changed in a New York second when God puts his finger on the jugular. That's what's happening here. We say to Moses, you might think that you're a little uh, shepherd on the backside of the desert. You might think that, uh, that this, this slavery is irreversible. You might think that no one's listening. But I've got my finger on the jugular vein of the whole world. I don't care if his name is Putin or Trump or Biden or anybody else. I am in control. And Moses, you serve me. Well, I'll tell you what. That's going to deal with my lack of assurance. When God says, listen, I have this covered every which way. Your job is simply to obey me and what I tell you to do. What is that in thine hand? I'm not worried about anything that you don't have, Moses. I'm worried about what you do have using what you do have for me. Lack of assurance. Watch this, number two. Not only do I see a lack of assurance in this chapter, but I see a lack of ability. Look at verse number nine of our text. Verse number 10, I should say. And Moses said, see that? Verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord. This is after God gave him three signs. Two of which he saw. Now he didn't see the river sign, but I'm pretty sure Moses believed it. Because he picked up the snake and it became a rod. And he saw the leprosy and it became a, a, a new hand again. He saw that. And so there's no trouble with Moses seeing and believing what God just showed him. And so Moses says in verse number 10, yeah, and the, Moses said unto the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Yeah, no, I, I follow your line of reasoning, Lord, about the whole rod thing, about the whole restoration thing, the river thing. Yeah, that would be cool, but I can't speak. Neither heretofore, I've never been able to speak, which wasn't true. Which wasn't true. Because what, what, what self-focus does, and by the way, that, that's pride as well. People that say, I can, I can, that's pride. But people that say, I can, I can't, that's pride too. Say Moses for 40 years thought, I can, I can. The next 40 years he learned, I can, I can. The last 40 years of his life, he realized, I can through him. That's, that's, that's Paul, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You know, I can't, but he can, he can through me. That's what he learned. So here, he's still in the I can't mode. 
And he says in verse number 10, uh, I'm not eloquent, uh, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. And nothing's happened since you talked to me. It's like, Lord, I couldn't speak, and then you showed up and told me I had this call, and nothing's getting better. I'm still stuttering. Nothing, I don't see any progress. And so, Lord, you, you got the wrong guy. I can't do it. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. So how does God deal with this excuse? Lack of ability. Because oftentimes, this is the excuse we give to God. Okay, God, I, I'm sure that you could use me. But, Lord, I'm not sure that what I have is usable. Lord, I'm sure you could use me. You could use anybody. You've used, uh, used, used a donkey. You've used rocks. You could use anybody. But, Lord, I'm not sure that you understand fully what I'm capable of doing. I, I just don't have the abilities that are usable. So how does God deal with that? I think, first of all, I see the details of his claim in verse number 10. I'm not eloquent. I, I, I never have been. I st I'm still not. I'm slow of speech. I, I, things don't just come to me. I, I'm the guy that, 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 that when you argue with me, I, I, don't, I don't have a good comeback. And then, you know, five hours later when that guy goes home and, and I'm in bed, I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm like, I should have said that. You know. Anybody like that? You know, it's like, I'm not quick-tongued. I'm slow of speech. I, I'm slow of tongue. I just don't know. And I, I know what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to argue with me and I'm going to be like, ah. I don't know what to say. I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. That's what he's saying. It's the details of his claim. It's the same thing that Jeremiah said. Now God came to a young Jeremiah at a time when uh, the, the nation of Judah was on the precipice. On the precipice. And God said, I need a, a prophet along with Habakkuk. I need a prophet along with Zephaniah to cry out to the people of God. And to, to preach uh, uh, to this backsliding people. And I'm going to call this kid. His dad's a priest. He lives in a little town called Anathoth. Uh, not far from Jerusalem. And I'm going to call this kid to be a preacher. He's going to preach for 40 years. And no one's going to listen to him. How about that for a call of God? I'm going to call you to preach and no one's going to listen. Matter of fact, not only are they not going to listen, they're going to stare at you like. Mm. So God calls Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, I can't speak. Lord, you got the wrong guy. I can't speak. I'm a child. He uses the same excuses that we use. Uh, uh, inability and experience. Inability and experience. I can't speak. I'm a child. I can't speak. I'm a child. Let no man despise thy youth. Right? I can't speak. I'm, I'm, a I'm a child. That's Moses here. He's not using the child illustration because he's 80, but he's using the, the lack of ability uh, 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 excuse. Uh, I can't do this. It's the details of his claim. Watch number two, the, what I call the design of the creator. How does God deal with this claim? Look at verse number 11. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Now, can I say this? God didn't, it wasn't like God didn't know, right? It wasn't like God saying, huh, I forgot. Who made man's mouth? No, God asks questions not because he doesn't know answers. God asks questions because we don't know answers. And when God was in the Garden of Eden saying, where art thou, Adam? It wasn't like that God didn't know. It wasn't like, Gabriel, come down and help me. You know, Adam found a really good hiding place. And these fig leaves are really, really thick. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus knew already, right? Matter of fact, Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
When God asks questions, he doesn't ask questions for his benefit. He asks questions for our benefit. So the question that God asked Moses is the question that God asks you. He said, who, who made your mouth? So your specific excuses you can't speak. Who gave you the ability to speak? Who made your tongue? Who made your palate? Who made your teeth? Who made your mouth? Who made the organ of speech? Who made that? And he forces us to give him the answer. Um, you, right? You? Who made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb? Oh, wait a minute. Who maketh, who maketh the dumb? In other words, God in his sovereignty, God in his providence, has created people that have disabilities. Now think about that. In this fallen world, in God's providence, he has, remember that man in John chapter 9? And the disciples said, oh, Jesus, who sinned? This guy's blind. Somebody sinned. Was it him? Did he sin? Do something really, really bad? God judged him with blindness? Or maybe his parents sinned. God judged his parents uh, and by making their child blind, right? Which one was it? Jesus said, neither. It was neither. Sometimes God allows a disability so he can backdrop his glory in a much more bright way. This is for the glory of God. This is for the glory of God. So let me ask you a question. When a stutterer goes to Egypt and preaches the message, and God uses that message in power, who gets the glory? God does. But when a mighty man of words and a mighty man of personality like Moses does it, who gets the glory? Moses does. And God doesn't want to share his glory with another. That's why not many noble in this world, not many mighty are called. That's why uh, people that line up to serve God are generally not the, the highly successful people in life. You know why? Because they don't want to share the glory with God. God said, I'm not going to share my glory with anybody else. As a matter of fact, if you're a person that has limited ability, if you're a person that even, is even uh, thwarted by disability, many times you are the prime candidate for God to use. Who made the dumb? Who made the deaf? Uh, who made the seeing? Who made the blind? Have not I the Lord? Well, we at Faith Baptist Church understand this well, don't we? Because our founding pastor is Dr. Don Forster, a blind man. A blind man. Hasn't seen the light of day since nine years of age. Went to Fredericksburg, Virginia with his wife as a kid preacher years ago from Tennessee Temple and began knocking on doors as a blind man. And built a massive church for God. Who gets the glory? God does. What's your excuse? He has two earned doctorates. Preaches from Braille. I mean, what's your excuse? The point is, God delights in our disabilities. But Lord, if you just take this thorn in my flesh away, said the Apostle Paul, probably his eyesight. I think it was his eyesight, Galatians chapter 3 and 4. You would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. But whatever it was, it was something pestering him in his flesh, painful, in his flesh. Oh God, change this, change this in my life. Because if you'll change this disability in my life, uh, I can serve you better. God said, no you can't. Matter of fact, the reason why you have that disability is so that you can serve me better. And if I were to take the disability away, then you would be lifted up. You'd be lifted up in your pride. No, my grace is what? Sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for you too. 
He knows who you are. He knows what you can do. And he knew that before he called you. He knows what you are. He knows what you can do. And he knew that before he called you. Who made your mouth? God did. We see the details of his claim in verse number 9, the design of the creator. In verse, verse number 11, but notice with me lastly, the demand for compliance. So based upon the fact that uh, Moses said, but I can't, God said, no way, I made you. I, I know a little bit more than you do. So what does God say in verse number 12? Now therefore go. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So God says, listen, you don't need any more information. You don't need any more information. You have all the information you need. You, I told you where to go. I told you what to say. I told you that I'm behind you. I told you it's going to work. And so I'm done talking about it right now. You need to obey. Now God's not against us asking questions, by the way. He's not against us double checking, by the way. Uh, others did that in the Bible. But what God is saying here is, okay, now I've explained it, I've reiterated it. Now uh, the only thing left for you to do is just do what I've told you to do. I think right now at the end of this conference, we're in the just do stage. We've been hearers of the word. We've been hearers for the last 24 hours, but now we need to be doers of the word. Which leads me to my last and final point. We saw the lack of assurance in verses 1 through 8, 1 through 9. We saw the lack of ability expressed in verses uh, 9, 10, and 11, and 12, really. Now look at, lastly, not just the lack of assurance and lack of ability, but the anger of the war. The Lord is angry. That's my last point. The Lord is angry. But God is slow to anger, but I'll tell you, when he gets mad, you better listen. He's slow to anger, but when he gets mad, you better listen. And watch what happened. We heard a great message on that yesterday. Look at verse number 13 in closing. And he said, oh my Lord. This is now Moses' response. Time for him to get on board, right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, God has reiterated and reiterated. And he said, oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. God, not me. Lord, I agree with everything you've said. I just don't want to be personally involved. Can I just say this? Agreement is not involvement. We live in an age where we think agreement is involvement. Uh, I would never go to a church that is not a soul winning church, but you're not a soul winner. I would never go to a church that doesn't emphasize the Word of God, but I don't read the Word of God. I would never go to a church that doesn't uh, really harp on the importance of prayer, but I don't pray. But I would never go to a church that doesn't take a stand on moral issues, but I have moral issues. How disingenuous is it for us to say, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. I just won't get involved in any of those areas. Agreement is not involvement. That was Moses. Moses was saying, listen, God, just send somebody else. Whoever you want. It could be anybody. Here is he, Lord. Send him. Right? That's what he's saying. How does God deal with that? I think in three ways. Let me just mention them. We're out of time. I think first of all, notice God's mindset. Notice God's mindset. God's mindset, verse number 14, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. He cometh forth to meet thee. When he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And he goes on to say, 
I, I, okay, you can use him. He can be your crutch. You can speak to him. He'll speak to the people. But here's the bottom line, Moses. You're not wiggling out of this. Here's the bottom line, Moses. There, you are going. And you are speaking. Now, I'll make concessions. I'll let you speak to him. He'll speak to them. That's fine. But Moses, the bottom line is, is I'm not changing my mind. If someone's going to change here, it's going to have to be you. By the way, that's, that's what God says to us today. If there's going to be change that takes place today, it's not going to be God that changes. It's going to have to be me. And so what's happening here is God has a mindset. I remember my, my, my son, Nathaniel, he, uh, he's grown and has children of his own right now, lives in Florida. But uh, when he was in high school, Nathaniel's in every bit like me. He, he, we, we are identical except in one way. He's an introvert, I'm an, I'm an extrovert. He's a great preacher, great speaker, but he's not, he's not, he's, he's an introvert. So he's good when he has to preach, but he's not going to, he's not going to just talk, small talk. He's, that's not who he is. So uh, he was in a school play. I wrote the school play every year in Pennsylvania, wrote a full-scale musical. And so one year, Nathaniel tried, I got one of the lead roles in the, in the play. I, I mean, the lead role in the play. And he was really good at doing so. Memorized the line, did a great job. But this was a musical. And so there came the time in the play where I said, okay, uh, now Nathaniel, here, here's the song you're going to sing. He said, Dad, I'm not going to sing a song. I said, Nathaniel, of course you're going to sing a song. You have the main part in the play. This is a music all. Okay, so a music all means that there is music. And Nathaniel said, yeah, but Dad, I don't sing. No, no, no. I said, no, you do sing. I've heard you sing. You sing fine. Yeah, but Dad, I don't sing in front of people. No, 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 no. You do sing in front of people. And you will sing in front of people. He goes, well, Dad, can't you just get re rewrite the play? You, you wrote it. Just rewrite it and put someone else in that part. Uh, I'll do the part, even make that song be someone else, some other character in the play. I said, no. No, we're not going to do it. I said, come with me. So we went down to the auditorium where the piano was, the piano players, just the three of us. I said, okay, do one line. She did one line. I sang it. Here's a one line. Sing, okay, now sing it. He kind of sang it a little bit, real soft. No, a little bit louder. Listen, four hours later, four hours later, he's singing the song. First time he does it in practice, every kid there was like, whoa. They all clapped. It's amazing. It became the hit song of the play. What's the point? The point was, I wasn't taking no for an answer. And it was a dumb, stupid song. But the point was, his compliance was more important than what even the song was. You know what God's after? God's after your heart. How dare we say no to God for anything? And God, he's going to stick on this thing. If God's telling you to do something, he's not changing his mind. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance, without change of mind. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and he's sticking with it. You better get on board. It's a mindset. Number two, uh, not only say I see his mindset, I see, I see his mercy. You know, God could have zapped him right then. God could have said, was God out of recruits? Was it like God was so desperate, I just have to take the shepherd on the backside of the desert? No, God could have used anybody, but God decided to use Moses. And by the way, don't think that God needs you. God doesn't need you. There's nothing special about you that God needs. But God graciously wants to use you. That's why I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And not that God needs you, but he wants to use you. He wants to. And he's sticking with his game plan. 
The fact that he puts up with your excuses and mine is just an indication of his mercy. So we see God's mindset, we see his mercy, and then finally we see his method. How did God get Moses mobilized? How did God get Moses mobilized? He did it through somebody else. God brought a person into his life to help him along the trail. That's God's method. You know that's often God's method? I would say this, that's normally God's method. God uses people to help people. How shall they hear without a preacher? Right? How did God get the gospel to you? Most people didn't just get saved reading their Bible. They got saved, someone told you. Well, why, why is it free? Why is it free? Somebody told you. Somebody told you. See, God uses people. How do you grow in grace? God uses people to help people. That's why Brother Bill said, accountability. Text that guy. Call me. Accountability. So what does God do here? God uses Aaron. Hey, I know him. I know his spirit. He's going to help you, Moses. He's going to help you. And you know what happened? Moses finally obeyed. He finally obeyed because he said, okay, i got somebody that will go with me. Uh, somebody that will actually say the words. All I have to do is really say them to him. God's going to give me the word. I'll say to him, I'll take this baby step. Now watch this. D don't miss this and we're done. You know the funny thing about Moses' baby step? His baby step became his big step. You talked about it. His baby step became his big step. Okay, well, if all I have to do, if all I have to really do is say it to, to Aaron, and then Aaron will say it, okay, all right, I'll go. It was a baby step. But read your Bible. When Moses shows up in Egypt, Aaron doesn't do any of the talking. Moses does all the talking. Because the baby step became the big step. And then later on, Moses leads the people out, and Jethro shows up with Moses' wife and his kids. And he says, uh, Moses, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm helping people. Yeah, but all day long, you're the only person that talks. <laughs> Moses went from I can do no talking to I'm the only one that can do the talking. He pendulum, didn't he? What I'm saying is the baby step was the big step. All right, so stop for a moment. We're done. What's your baby step today? What's your baby step? You heard some great baby steps last, last hour. Okay, I'm committing to three verses a day. I'm committing to accountability with my following. I'm committing to accountability with my prayer life. You know, I'm going to, whatever, what, what's your baby step? And understand this, that when you say yes to God in even those minute ways, but a lot of times that baby step ends up becoming your biggest step. For some of you, the baby step was, okay, I'll go to men's conference. And what you're now realizing is, wow, that baby step is going to end up being a really big step in my life, right? Because baby steps with God become huge steps for man. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to take these simple thoughts, these time-honored excuses We've heard repeated over and over again, not just through people in the Bible, but in our own lives. And oh God, today, would you help us to simply trust you, to trust and obey, and there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And oh God, today, I pray that you would help us to take that baby step to trust you, 
in our private lives. Oh God, do the work. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Our eyes are closed. I think it would be God-honoring and, and helpful to every person in this room if we would simply take a commitment that God has laid upon our heart and get to this altar and tell the Lord, I'm here. And I'm asking for help. And I'm pledging to you my obedience. And, oh, God, would you use my life? Would you help me? And then, God, would you help me to help somebody? Lord, here am I. Not here is he. Here am I, God. Use me. Father, would you bless this invitation? Bless the music. Bless the men that come to pray. Help us, God, as we make these sober and holy commitments before you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The music is playing. Why don't you come join this man at the altar? Come make that commitment to God. A baby step now to an altar is a big step for your Christian life. I can promise you that. You come and pray.